Hello, and welcome to On the Irregular with me, Java Berry, a podcast where I chat to women from all walks of life about their own unique creative journey, how they got here, how their story has shaped their creative work, what they've learned, what has helped them, and where they plan to go from here. It's an irregular journey for so many of us, and I am delighted to offer a platform to share these fascinating stories and wells of wisdom. This week, I am chatting to baker, artist, and empress of cushion embroidery, Sharon Nagadia. Born in Uganda, Sharon moved to the UK age 11. After initially pursuing a career as a nurse slash hairdresser, Sharon couldn't ignore the fact that her passion was in the creative fields. We talk about family and cultural expectations, what she now considers to be the markers of success, her time caring for her fabulous mother in her early 20s, reclaiming the word immigrant, how she wants to be perceived, her pivot from the world of retail to baking at the coziest of bakeries, Longboy's Bakehouse in South Manchester. Sharon also manages to compare herself to Beyonce at least twice with complete justification. May I introduce you to episode 11 of On the Irregular and the wondrous artist Sharon Nagadia. A gentle warning, this episode contains expletives. Nice to meet you. Yeah, lovely to meet you. We've got a lot to talk about. Um, Thanks. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so so where did you grow up? Because you said that you, by the time you were in high school, you had attended eight different schools yeah fun right um so i have was born in uganda and then we moved to england when i was 11 so we traveled in between but we properly moved when i was 11 so i did high school here uh, but not all of it so i went to chesington and then we moved back to uganda for a bit and i went to two international schools there been around the block. <laughs> why did you why did you move around so much? Was it your parents' work? My parents worked and they were trying to find new places to settle and trying to find new schools, better schools, and just so my mum used to live in England a lot and my dad was in Uganda and then they swapped and he'd travel. It was just a lot of travel for them. What was their work that enabled them to So my mum was studying and she is a mum, first of all, and then she is now a care- was a carer and was an art teacher, worked to death. She worked, she would be great here because she has had a hundred jobs and he worked for the Bank of Uganda. She just hopped from one thing to another, depending on how she felt at the time. Yeah. And so, so you ended up in the UK and you said that your parents' expectations were doctor, engineer. Lawyer, yeah. So they have just, I think it is a cultural thing where maybe not, yeah, no, actually it is a massive cultural thing where you just want your black child to be, not to struggle and to always be super successful. And those were the top tier jobs, doctor, lawyer, engineer. There were the jobs that were cycled around and nothing was expected outside of that realm and anything less than that was not seen as successful. So it was very difficult to kind of like shift out of that and be like, I can be creative, which is really interesting because my mom is really creative, but she really aspired 
yes, for me to be happy, but she aspired for something more. She always said that she wanted something more and that was success for them is defined in monetary value and kind of status. So having a child who is a doctor, lawyer or an engineer is kind of like a status thing. Imagine going to a wedding with a hundred people, not even a hundred, hundreds of very small African wedding, <laughs> thousand people. And you're the parent with the child who's a doctor rather than saying, oh, my child's an artist. It's harder to understand. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, interesting. Great. So, okay. So did you, and so with that expectation, did you feel like, fine with that did you think okay well that's what I'm going to pursue then I'm going to choose one of those careers at first yes because yes I did there was a part of me where I did want these things like I remember deciding to become a doctor because I had a really horrible nurse and I was like well I'm gonna get you back I wanted to be a nurse nurse doctor and hairdresser because my teacher had the most gorgeous hair and would come in with the most beautiful updo. So I was like, this is who I am. A nurse, <laughs> doctor, hairdresser. Um, and I pursued it because I liked the sciences and I liked learning and I wanted to help people. And all those things in a linear world are a doctor, someone who helps people, someone who, all these things, I only saw one path. And because that was the only path that was provided to me and there was an immense pressure to do so I remember once getting 99% in a test and my dad's response wasn't well done he was like where's the one percent so there was always that expectation in the back of my mind you will be the black female lead as a doctor rather than you can be a black female lead in another I mean it would have been great to be a hairdressing nurse doctor <laughs> just imagine <laughs> you just come to get like a brain surgery and get a fabulous haircut at the end of it. What a treat. <laughs> All skills covered. Yeah. All skills covered, right? You just suggesting that tells me that you definitely had a creative mind as a kid. How did you then veer off that path? So all the way through school, I got good grades. I did sciences. I did chemistry, biology, fine art and critical thinking as my A-levels. And obviously they did discourage me from doing art. They saw that I enjoyed it, but it was supposed to be a hobby. So your parents, this is your parents discouraged Yeah, so my parents are divorced. So it's, when I say my parents, it's just my mother. She is my parents. She is my all. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting because my father was the one who is very into academia and very pressuring on that but in turn my mum for culture reasons sees it as a marker of success she wants me to be happy but also it's really hard because that's her tunnel vision so I went to college I discovered that I liked art I was always good at art I enjoyed it I did it as a GCSE just thought no, I'll carry on, see where it goes. But I think they half expected that I would drop it. Mm -hmm. But instead, everything else kind of dropped. So the plan was, I'll do my sciences, I'll apply to Oxford, 
I'll become a doctor, you know, just go through those yeah. check boxes. And that didn't quite happen. I did find out and realised that that's what I wanted to do. So for then I picked up photography and I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. And then I did an art foundation year. And I think that's when they started realizing maybe she's not going to be a doctor. <laughs> maybe this is not where we're at. It was a really difficult conversation. Um, I remember my mom didn't tell my grandparents for years wow. that I hadn't done art. Years. Wow. <laughs> it was just kind of like a, a phase sort of thing. Yeah. Um, they also didn't... I had conversations with her friends who were, we'll give it a year and then you'll be back to medicine. We'll, it was kind of like, we'll give you this time to dip your toe, but we know you're going to come back to medicine. And also you're doing this, but know that you're doing this and you're not going to succeed as much as you would succeed in a career that was more linear. And it is, it's definitely harder not being a doctor because I could have been the jazziest consultant and made tons of money and all these wonderful things. But it's taken a long time to realize that the mark of success is not money, which is very, very hard to say when we need to pay bills, we need to be warm. And it's, it's like, oh, oh, I give me all the monies but also do I want to be happy it's a very yeah it's really hard and especially you know when you've been I mean it's hard anyway yeah when you've been brought up with such a strong focus on that mm. as a mark of success it's really hard to shake that so you did foundation art and then did you did you go to art school Yes, I did. So I did foundation art and then I went to Manmet to do 3D design. I applied to Manmet, Goldsmiths and Box New because I wanted to do contemporary furniture. Something to do with craft and design is all I wanted to do. Okay. Um, and I knew I just wanted to make. And it's really hard as a artist to think what career is this going to be <laughs> yeah. it is and also I've just realized like when we were younger there was never a conversation of all the careers that could come out of art that it's never a conversation that it was either you were going to be an art teacher or you were just going to study or you're going to be a curator which are all wonderful things but no one ever said you could be a food stylist. You could be just so many other things. You could be a writer. You could be this and all be contained within the arts. These are not things that were ever talked about. So I went in saying that I'm just going to craft. And my aim was always to create for Habitat because before Habitat was bought out by Argos, we still love them. Um, I was just like, I am going to be a designer for Habitat. I'm going to have lines and I'm going to be the next Kath Kidson because we, we all went through that phase. <laughs> um, 
yeah, so I just wanted to make and be sold and be recognized. And the same thing still, the same thing still followed through. Recognition, success, money. (laughs) They were all things that were, even though I was going into an art direction, I still wanted this thing of like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I need to be the best. I need to make the most and... If I'm going to sell a painting, it's going to sell for six thousand pounds. If I'm, you know, like just have really big ideals of what I wanted to do, because if I'm choosing to go really far from what my parents wanted and what my family wanted for me, then I better make it the best thing it's going to be. And that is a lot of pressure to put on someone who's nineteen. <sighs> nineteen. Babies making really grown up decisions, like it's yeah. just wild to me. Yeah. So I did that, and I partied too hard in my first year of uni. Uh, we all did. Uh, barely went into my second year, and then my mom got sick, and I had to go home to, I had to go back and forth to look after her. And then that pressure came back of like, shit, have I made the right decision? Like, I selfishly did this thing when I am, I could potentially be responsible for someone else. How am I going to afford to be responsible for someone else? Even though that, she would never put that expectation on me to be responsible for her. But as a cultural thing, my parents look after me so that in turn, I look after them. So what what to next? We're like, what are we doing? Um, so then came all the, all the jobs under the sun of just, we make money, we do these things. And in between that comes the pressure from my dad who was absent and now is back in the picture just constantly I had conversations so they just some back theory they split up when I was 14 15 didn't speak to him for a good 10 years and when my mum got sick these conversations he starts to kind of come back into the conversation etc and he would have hour-long conversations telling me how disappointed he was of not just the career I've chosen, the person I've become, because how embarrassing is it that he has to tell his friends that his child's not a doctor? And he kept doing this to a point where he would send me prospectuses in the post. He would offer to pay for new courses. And he was like, I will take out loans. I will break my bank just to... These are things I never asked for, but my validation then started becoming kind of um, joined to this idea of I am not whole and I am not valid until I have done something bigger, something that makes more and something that brings them, brings him joy. And there was lots of conversations of, isn't it embarrassing that I went to a wedding and I had, I was talking to people and I didn't know what to tell them that you do. 
and that is really hard in your early 20s to have a conversation not even just your early at any point these are conversations you should not have that sounds incredibly painful and yeah yeah and just like you said hard a hard conversation to have at all but then also in your early 20s when you're so tender and vulnerable Mm. really yeah it was it's a tough pill to swallow because it wasn't like one conversation it was constant conversations of you can do better like the conversations were always based around you can be better you can do better and you're not well right now and that is so hard to hear and so demoralizing when you're constantly told that you could be more when you feel like you're whole when you've taken the time to find out a little about yourself you've gone past that awkward 19 to 25 stage Mm. and you're still having the same conversations with your family that are we're disappointed in who you've become and we're disappointed in what you've chosen to do so yeah those are hard things I can imagine that must be incredibly jarring as well like you were saying that you you were enjoying yourself as as you know as a creative as an artist and you yeah. you had found I suppose you you would have found something within yourself and you felt whole and for then for somebody to be telling you that you're not yeah there's a lot of a lot of therapy had to happen yeah <laughs> I can imagine <laughs> And a lot of forgiveness had to happen on my part because forgiveness is for me, not for them. But it's still something that I think about now. Anytime um, changing career or shifting my focus or trying to make a big decision, it's always in the back of my head that I am disappointing so many other people and disappointing myself. And I just, yeah, there are lots of phrases that keep, going on in the back of my head, like um, when any time they said they were embarrassed to tell their friends what I did or they didn't know how to explain what I do or do I not feel bad that I'm going to have to struggle? So it changed from embarrassment of them to I'm just going to have to struggle for the rest of my life. Because I haven't made X amount of money or made a great decision for my life. Or it is the biggest one is it is really hard to watch when people half as smart as you have done 10 times better than you, which is a phrase that is repeated by my father quite a lot. It's like giving with one hand and taking with the other. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a... we want to tell you we're proud of you, but we can't. So this is what we're saying instead. Yeah. Or you're doing well, but not that well. And so my brain always kind of thinks like that, which is really terrible to to do to a human being. To yeah. I have to constantly question changing my mind when honestly changing your mind is allowed. It's allowed, you can change your mind a hundred times. In fact, it's encouraged. You, it, I don't know why it's seen as flighty to change your mind rather than 
today that's not my opinion we change and we evolve as people so why can I not change and evolve in my career in my creativity in my art so family's fun (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah And all through this, you were also caring for your mum. Yeah, yeah. My mum has MS. um, And for a while, I was her legal carer. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just had to stop. So my mum is one of the most incredible women I know. Nora is just just delicious. We love her. (laughs) We are big fans out here of Nora. Um, But she got sick and... I, it's just me and my brother who is seven years younger and he's a boy and no shade, but he's a boy, he's young, he's gorgeous, but there's certain, when your mother has to fall in the bath and can't get up, it's better for me to go help her. Yeah. These are things he wouldn't understand. And just because I lost a bit of my childhood doesn't mean that he should lose his. So we just kept his innocence and I would help her in the bath. I'd help her with daily tasks and it's just what it was. So when the chances came up to get any job, I am not beneath anything. And she set the standard of she's not beneath anything. So she'll work any job. So in her mind, she wanted me to be successful because she didn't want me to struggle like she did. Whereas in my dad's mind, he wanted me to be successful because he wanted to show off this prize trophy of a child that he created and nurtured into this magical being that he has formed in his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gosh, that's a lot to carry. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is, but we do what we do out of love and not out of obligation. Mm-hmm. Um, and would I, so I picked up a job at a, a B&B, which was to this day one of the greatest jobs because it was for a sweet couple who were in their 60s and it was great, 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 great times. I cleaned toilets, I but I would do it again over and over again in a heartbeat because one, some of the most fun people I've ever met, uh, old people telling stories are just great. (laughs) Being in a place where you can invite people into your home and make them feel comfortable and then create this connection with you, even if it's for three days or a week, love. And also it was a time in my life when, my mom really needed the help and I really stepped up. So, yeah. which is really interesting because if I'd gone to med school, I would not have had the time to care for her. I would not have had the time to care for her. I would have not had the space or the, yeah, so cool. hindsight is twenty twenty, but it's not something you realise till you're out of it. Wow. And so how long was that for? Um, that was, so I, 2011, 
it's a good four years, three, four years. I just stopped everything and just traveled back and forth home. Mm-hmm. And then I just, I told my friends in Manchester I was going home for 10 days and left for about a year and a half. Um, I had all my stuff here. I just just left because that's where the need was. And I needed to think of something outside of myself and be just not be selfish. Um, So, yeah, I worked in a B&B for a year, maybe two. Then I got a second job at H&M full time. I was just multitasking hun (laughs) um, for a while. And then I, was it two years later? A year, maybe two later, I moved back to Manchester Mm -hmm. and moved to H&M at Trafford. I was there for six months. Then I moved to Under Other Stories, then Monkey. So just stayed in the retail world for five or six years and along this time I was baking just going along doing my little thing baking and crafting right okay and where'd baking come from my grandma is a really good baker my mom is a really great baker she doesn't have the her because of her ms her motor skills are not the best um and she just gets tired and she honestly doesn't enjoy it anymore but I remember all the cakes my grandma would make for me and she used to bake my eye oh wow it's insane she'd just be like oh I'll put a ladle of this and this there was a spoon this oh this really weirdly shaped ladle that she'll use and I'm sure she must have like now thinking about it she must have known this is what a cup is or whatever but as a child you just see this magical woman just picking up ladles of things and just pouring them in and I was just like so impressed by everything she made that I was just like yeah yeah let's do this together and she taught me how to make banana bread and then obviously Every kid did sprinkle cupcakes, but obviously mine were the most excellent. <laughs> she told me how great I was, and my grandma doesn't lie. So, <laughs> and she just yeah, she used to teach me how to do all these fun things, and my mom did the same. And then when I got to when I was getting older, whenever there was like it was my dad's birthday, I'd make him a cake. My mum's birthday, I'd make her a cake. And then she'd be like, can you make a Madura cake for my friends I'm going over for tea? And I'd be like, yes. So there'll always be chances to make and bake. And she'd be like, do you need a card going? But I can make this and this. So in a way, they always encouraged the craft and the baking. And I always did it for friends. Every friend's birthday every opportunity there was to kind of be a show off because it's who I am. It's in my nature. I'm very proud of it and I'm not going to hide it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was like, you want a cake? Well, I have seen Bake Off. I will put every bit of glitter there is on this cake. So I was known, you know, every friend group has a role. Yeah. I was cake. That was my role. 
which has now become part of your work. Yes. Yeah, it was a wild, wild transition. It is the scariest transition I have ever made. Retail to cake. (laughs) Retail to cake. It was just, you know, when you really love something, it is scary. (laughs) Of course, because it's no longer just like, oh, this is a lovely perk of making cakes for friends or family. Yeah. Actually, you're doing it on a professional level and the stakes are so much higher. Oh, high, high stakes. Yeah. Plus also I was in a job that I had started from the bottom, now we're here. You know, I had just, I'd started off doing just shop floor. Then I trained as an admin. Then I did like a bit of visual work. Then I was like in a managerial role. I was like climbing those steps, doing it really slowly. I was just thinking I could be a store manager. I could then be in HR. I could do all these things and then make lots and lots of dollar bills because that is the measure of success. Yeah. Um, And I was climbing this ladder. And even though sometimes I cried myself to sleep being in retail and working, finishing work at 11.30 and starting again at 6.30, mm-hmm. fine. I was just like, okay, there's some incentives in this. And then just lockdown happens and I'm like, okay, there's this cute little bakery, friends, let's hang out there on a Saturday. Let's now work there. Let me quit my full-time job. I was just like, okay, do I want to stay in a job that I could progress to and could honestly in time make my parents proud because I'm making more money and I could go to bigger and bigger things but stand happy or take a pay cut pay cut and be happy and walk to work and be creative every day and I get to make and create with my friends all these skills all these things that I wanted as a kid I wanted to help people I wanted to be around people yeah I guess contributing to your community yeah oh my gosh I know I get to know the neighbors names the dogs names their kids names so many babies are thrown at me and it's gorgeous <laughs> um people come, you get to see the journeys of I've seen women who were pregnant when they first came into the bakery and now have babies I've seen babies start to talk and walk and just all these things just from a simple idea as a bakery it's not just a bakery it's doing life with other people when people come into long boys they're coming into our home so we're not just bringing a good cake we are doing way more than that we are doing what I initially set out to be as a ditzy six-year-old who wanted just stars and flowers and all these wonderful things and I get to do that and for me I'm starting to see what success is Yes, it'll be nice to make a silly amount of money because um, I want to buy shiny things all the time. (laughs) But also, isn't success being mentally happy? Because of being at Long Boys, I had enough days in the week to consistently go to therapy for like a year and a half. That has never happened in my life where I had the space and the routine to do that because I was working shifts or 
my job was too demanding. Whereas I knew on a Wednesday at 10 o'clock, I could have therapy and I had the option to going to work afterwards or not. I knew exactly when I could have a day off. I knew exactly what was needed from me. I could go in and after therapy, make a beautiful cake or just bake and get into a calming zone instead of going to the Arndale Centre and having hundreds of people coming at you and walking through Piccadilly Gardens, just little things. Platform 13, having to do that. (laughs) Everyone who lives in Manchester knows Platform 13. (laughs) It is doing a marathon, but also it is like going to Narnia. It is. But for those who don't live in Manchester, it's this one platform that's at the other end of the train station. And to get there, you have to travel through different lands to get to it. Honestly, I think the weather conditions change just from going from the train station to platform 13. It's it's interesting because I guess what, yeah, what what you're talking about, Right, how you were kind of going up the ranks in retail and it, it feels like you were again having to make this decision about what was expected of you and what yeah. you wanted and, and what you, you know, you felt would make you happier and, you know, in, in taking um, a cut in, in salary. But yeah. what it, like what you've just described is just so beautiful. And I think it's really interesting that you said, you know, that you're understanding now what success is. Yeah. Because what you've just described sounds like beautiful, successful, whole, rich life. Yeah, I can honestly say that I can sit in my two-bed, up-and-down, rented house in Levy, not making, like, earth-shattering money and just being like, I am happy, I am content. This is not to say that it's not a stressful job and I don't injure myself or I don't make mistakes, but I've never been in a place or a job where I feel healthy. I feel valued. I feel like everything I bring to the table is heard. I don't know if money could buy that. I am just in a fortunate place where I get to use my brain, but use my creative side of my brain and my linear thinking side of my brain. I get to make spaces that make people feel at home. I get to have the option to make and create cushions or do all these things on the side or draw or write or speak or do things like this that I would never have had an option to do if I had stayed in a traditionalist thinking job. And that is not to say that that path is wrong. It just was not right for me. This is not to say that let's all move to the middle of nowhere and make cakes and make crafts. It's not everyone's path. But for me, I, I have never been happier than I am now. Something that you you mentioned in your email that you wanted to talk about was about what an immigrant looks or sounds like. Yeah. Um, I have been obviously like every other person in the world really uh, just kind of moved and kind of shaken by what is publicly the last four years but privately every day of my life Um, I my immigration status is I have discretionary leave to remain which is interesting when people hear that because I'm well spoken I don't sound like what you would think an immigrant sounds like. Mm-hmm. I've been in the country for over 20 years, but obviously circumstances have led to where we're at now, where we have to 
my mom, my brother and I have to keep applying for our residential status and it's expensive. So legally, even though I live here, at any point the government can turn around and be like, see ya, even though this is my home. And I think when people see me or meet me or hear me, they don't think of that as an immigrant. When people think immigrant, they think someone who's just got here, someone who's trying to try and steal your job, steal your housing and steal all of this. And I wanted to change the perspective by being quite open about my immigration status and being quite open about things. And that has also come from therapy and talking. Um, I was always scared for people to think of me as anything less than British. And I was so scared of people of knowing too much about my immigration status because how very dare you talk about, we never talk about politics, money or anything like that ever. But I wanted to change that. I wanted to change this culture of thinking that immigrants are only those people who cross the border in Calais, who you see on boats, who are hiding in bins and hiding in trucks. That is not who we are and that is not it. I want you to see that immigrants can be people like me, people who are successful, people who have worked really, really hard, yet still are not allowed the same privileges as you. So, for example, my last uh, application to the Home Office was £2,600, not including legal fees that are £800. On top of that, you have to pay a healthcare surcharge, and and the Home Office can guarantee you leave to remain for between two and four years or something silly. So if it happened, you'd have to keep reapplying, keep reapplying until you've saved up almost £7,000 to then apply for permanent residency. That's a racket. It's fucking insane. Like, so in December was when, so just before Christmas was when we had to reapply. And I was sat here like talking to my mum and she was in tears and I got so angry that I got angry and jealous, honestly, that I could have bought a house. The money that I have spent and my mum has spent and my brother has spent, I could have bought a house for myself. She could have bought a house. He could have bought a house. Like, that's a deposit for a house. Three great houses we could have bought. And we're still doing this. And I think when people hear immigration, it's this big taboo thing where they think it is going to be a really large, low-income family living in either one living in a very big house that the counter pays for. Or, on the other hand, it will be a really small house with a hundred people in it. People can't see any variation in between that and can't see well-educated. I am middle-class, let's just put it like that. Just there is variation and there is colour in this issue. It's not just just these two extremes that it can be. And obviously these extremes exist and this narrative is there for a reason. But also I want you to know that I make not an extravagant amount of money but also not a poverty line well not a poverty line amount of money but I still have to pay these things so for people to think that that's that's crippling yeah yeah it is so this is something that is there so when you see people of color work it or immigrants especially And their families have these views. So this is why it was really hard for me as a child to separate these views of my family and these views that my parents 
had and the things they wanted for me, because obviously they didn't want me to struggle and they didn't want me to need for anything. But also it's this twisted thing of we need a doctor and a lawyer so we can afford all these things that come along with it. And also we've come to this country, so you need to kind of really make it worth your time for moving to a country. People think you leave these gorgeous countries because we want to come to England and do this. I'm sure, like, England is my home now, but I'm sure my mum and dad at the time would happily have stayed in the beautiful houses they had, sent their kids to international schools and lived a lovely life and not left their family. You don't leave somewhere because something's good. You leave somewhere because something's bad. So this thing of we're here on our jollies, I would really like for that not to be something they see. So I want when someone thinks immigrant, not just to think of these two extreme worlds that are there, they are valid and it is really oppressive and it's really sad. But I want for people to see me, to see their friend, to see the person who bakes their cakes, to see the person who wave at you on the street, to see the person that you go for a pint with, to see the person who speaks like I do, to see someone who's articulate, to see someone who is different from what they think. And it was something that took a lot of the last two years to really come to and to be really proud of and to be really open with it because because we're not talking about it it's mystified and also like you were rightly so just shook by the amount of money and all the things that we have to do all the time people don't know this and I think if we just demystify the whole thing and you just see Sharon the person the myth the legend the Beyonce (laughs) just see me and then you think oh my goodness she has had to pay this amount of money all the time she has had to do like it's not something you think imagine having to budget and be like okay and in two and a half years I'm going to have needed to save up seven grand these are not normal things that you have to think about but I have to think about it my mum has had to think about it for the past 20 years my brother has had to think about it and I just wanted to if 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 I am the Beyonce and the poster child for this immigration states I want you to see a different face I want it not to be we have seen so much devastation and we see those beautiful and gorgeous kids being pulled out of like oh the sea and all these horrible images which yes which you'd see but I also want you to see your neighbor your friend and the person you see every day the person who is unsuspecting someone who's wildly British I am so tweet it's silly Um, (laughs) I needle punch and I bake it's the most merry berry thing ever (laughs) if I wrote down on paper it's the most white middle class thing ever but I am black I'm Ugandan and I think if people could see that that is still a facet multifaceted and creative and yeah I think that gosh everything that you just said it just it it adds a whole other dimension to choosing a creative life Mm. scary (laughs) 
Yeah, and I I kind of could you use the word selfish a couple of times. Yeah. Um, and that really stood out as like, oh I've made this selfish choice and I now understand even more why you might feel that way that you made a selfish yeah. choice because there's so many other layers to your responsibility to you know to your family and their expectations. Um, yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing this with me. Oh, not a problem. I'm just very passionate about this at the moment. No, I'm always, I've just kind of like, it's a weird term to say, but I've sank into my blackness and sank into my confidence as a person. Mm -hmm. Because on the outside, I've always been outwardly confident. But I think in the last couple of years, I've just really sank into who I am, what I'm about, what things I value and who I want the world to know of me. So it's kind of like really become abundant, be clear, especially this round of having to reapply. I just, my friend was like, when things are in the shadows, they seem a lot harder. But if you bring them to the light, they're so much easier. So I was carrying this burden all of myself and my friends never knew or they knew bits but didn't know the whole story or like people know about immigration and they're very saddened by it but as soon as you put a personal face to it they're like oh shit this is my friend who's having to do this and as soon as I put it into the light I had people researching things and helping and learning so it's just yeah scary decision but I'm very happy I made it yeah and it's interesting what you you know I think the word immigrant is incredibly loaded. Like you're saying, you know, all of the images that you just conjured up of what, what people think of when they hear the word immigrant. Yeah. I also really understand that because I I was an immigrant in mm. Spain, but nobody ever referred to me as an immigrant in Spain because I was white. Yeah. I was an expat. Mm. Exactly. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Whereas our neighbours who'd moved there from Morocco, they were immigrants. Wild. Yeah. Maybe we just claim the word back because... Yeah. It's... I don't... I'm not ashamed of it and I don't think it's a dirty word. And I was made to feel as if it's a dirty word and because I thought it was a dirty word, I never said it. So let's just reclaim the word immigrant. But yeah, how interesting that you were called an expat instead of an immigrant. Yeah. Completely. That is very interesting. Yeah, it just says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I should start calling myself an expat. Exactly. I'm, I'm an ex. I'm an expat. It does make me feel really worldly and old, and I feel like I should be wearing some sort of fun hat. <laughs> just like, oh, I'm an expat. I'm. I'm only wearing linen, obviously, head to toe oh, linen. And you drink gin and tonics on the lawn in the afternoon. Oh, yes, whilst we're playing croquet. I do love playing croquet, but sorry. <laughs> Just... Gosh, thank you so much for sharing. And I'm so glad that you spoke about that, because I think, like you said, it is so important to understand, I suppose, yeah, the multifacets and the complexities of living as an immigrant, you know, as many, yeah, as many stories as there are humans. Yes, and, absolutely. And having moved here from a different country and all of that, everything that that entails, but then also 
who you are as a person and the depth, the depth to it. The depth, layers. It's like yeah. it's a lasagna of a human being. It's layers. <laughs> Gosh, so, and you're still, you're continuing crafting. You make you these beautiful cushions. Yes, I'm still crafting. Um, I've just started one, greens. I'm doing a series of green cushions because uh, I was walking around and I saw, you know, when you see when moss starts to grow on like the side of buildings and then slate and concrete, it creates different shapes and colours. I really enjoy that. Our, our eldest um, Griffin, his middle name is Moss. Oh, oh. <laughs> that's so gorgeous. Yeah, actually, it's funny when I was on my run this morning, the moss just felt even more vivid than usual. I think it was possibly the combination of the frost and the light. It was just glowing. Mm. Please, please share your your green collection online. Oh yes, I will. I just started I haven't done it for a while you know when you get that first fear of like ah it's what I call first page fear yes. when you have a new book whether you're writing or drawing or doing an equation that first blank page is terrifying yeah and because yeah. I haven't done it for a while I was just like <laughs> I was like do I still remember can I still do this and I just started and I was like ah she still got it it's all right <laughs> And honestly, I don't care if anyone wants it or not. I'm just really enjoying the process. Is that, <laughs> yeah. awful? Is that awful to say no? No, I think that is so important. And I think it's something that I'm really guilty of with, with my work is just allowing myself to create just for me, for the process, for the enjoyment. You know, yeah. I, I will... I'm monetizing everything all the time, <laughs> you know, which is partly, you know, that's also part of being self-employed. It's like, right, And okay. also you need to get paid for what you make yes well there is um, the amount of times people are like mm. i once had someone ask me to make them a cake and they're like i can spot you 20 pounds i was like if you had caught me when i was like a couple of years ago when i didn't know my worth i'd be like yes yeah. yes oh my goodness someone wants to pay me for a cake now i'm like yes there is pleasure and enjoyment and you're enjoying making it, but Java people need to pay it. <laughs> yeah, well, there is that reality, isn't there? But I think, I think, I think it's true that you know, you've got to make space for just the process. Yeah. Oh, the process is so much more fun, and it's more fun when people people buy my process. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for talking. Oh my gosh, this has been a pleasure. And it's waffly, but it's, it's who I am. Glorious, really. Thank you. I really want to meet your mum. I'm so fascinated. Nora is, Nora is like a bakehouse legend now. We need to think, what would Nora do? And what would Dolly Parton do? And merge them. <laughs> you can find Sharon on Instagram at snagadia and via the bakery website at Longboys Bakes. Thank you so much for listening to On The Irregular. Please make sure you review and subscribe as it helps other listeners find us and really does make such a difference. Mm-hmm.